And now, proper propaganda. Watch it. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists with journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. You're just tuning in to Civic Cypher. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Ja. I am, once again, disheartened, frustrated, angry. Um, and still cute. <laughs> well, it's a little early in the show for that. You might want to save that to the end because we got some heavy stuff to drop on you. But um, <laughs> we're going to make it, man. That's what we're, we we talk about it. We get through it. We're doing our part, man. So stay tuned. It is becoming more and more difficult to actually feel that way. Well, I'm I'm still optimistic and always will be. Stay tuned. We're going to be talking about the Supreme Court. Um. Good and bad, as, mostly bad. But as he tells us, we're going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, it reminds us that we have to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, far away, Black History Fact, we're going to be talking about Henrietta Lacks, a name you may not know, but a name you should know. A very important Black woman that deserves to be celebrated. Um, but first and foremost, we're going to talk about, again, the Supreme Court uh, for our BABA, Becoming a Better Ally segment, which is sponsored by Unknown Union. The fashion house situated at the intersection of meaning, innovation, and culture. For more info, check unknownunion.com. All right, today's reading comes from NPR. Something the Supreme Court did that was good. The U.S. Supreme Court uh, stepped back from the brink of totally gutting the landmark 1965 Voting Rights Act. That's very important. Okay, this is why I'm still optimistic. By a five-to-four vote. A coalition of conservative and liberal justice, justices reaffirmed the court's 1986 precedent interpreting how legislative districts must be drawn under the landmark Voting Rights Act as amended in 1982. The court said that in Alabama, a state where there are seven congressional seats and one in four voters is black, the Republican-dominated state legislature had denied African-American voters a reasonable chance to elect a second representative of their choice. The decision could reverberate across other states with reconsideration of how congressional lines are drawn in areas with significant black populations. Chief Justice John Roberts, who authored or joined prior decisions that gutted key parts of the voting rights law on Thursday, wrote for the court majority to preserve the way voting rights law has been applied for nearly 40 years in redistricting cases. He was joined by federal conservative Brett Kavanaugh. Crazy. Um... You know, I didn't would never have expected that, but sure, I'll take it, man. And I got a credit where it's due. Um, they joined the court's three liberal justices, Sonia Sotomayor, uh, Elena Kagan, and Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Um, basically, the long and the short of it is gerrymandering. This, this deals a blow to gerrymandering, which is often a tool used to repress and suppress the influence of black people and marginalized people's votes in this country. So shout out to the Supreme Court for getting that thing right. That that the implications there are a lot bigger than are a lot they, of people know. Are they though? Voting, I think voting is is still very important. So the the implications are are a lot further reaching than many people know. So. You think people's in people's minds they marginalized that what could have happened here? And maybe people just weren't paying attention. Okay, so help me out. I'm just, and I'm not pushing back, but I think, or I guess sometimes I'm just speaking for us, and maybe mm -hmm. we spend too much time talking about these things with each other. Go ahead. You said that the implications were much larger than people think. I thought that they were 
I thought the things could have been catastrophic. Yeah, yeah. Had they gone the other, the other way. way. So that's I, yeah, so absolutely. Not, this was not something that in my head could have been any bigger. Like, yeah, this is especially yeah. because of the things that have been happening. Sure. Like we're going to wake up and it's going to be 1950. It's going to be 1850. <laughs> you going in this direction. Yeah. Man. Well, anyway, so let's get to what you're talking about. So the other side of this Supreme Court coin that we're talking about is going to take a lot more peeling back because it really, again, uh, speaks to the sensibilities of a lot of people in this country, not just conservative folks but a lot of people who don't understand affirmative action. So we're going to educate you today about what that was, who actually benefited from it, and really what we've lost here. Um, first, I want to say that Clarence Thomas is super whack. He, they, now he doesn't speak for us. He's not that dude. He's, and you'll see why we say that. Um, also, I want to make sure that I say that um, the Supreme Court is not necessarily the be-all and end-all. There are checks and balances in government so that no one branch has supreme authority in perpetuity. Okay? Um, you, by listening to the show like this, and I'm sure you listen to other programming and you seek out ways to become a better human being. Um, first off, I applaud you, but you're the sort of person that needs to influence your social circles so that people can think critically about things. And, and hopefully we'll kind of give you some perspective today. I'm going to read from NPR. In a historic decision, the U.S. Supreme Court on Thursday effectively ended race-conscious admissions programs at colleges and universities across the country. In a decision divided along ideological lines, the sixth justice conservative supermajority invalidated admissions programs at Harvard and the University of North Carolina. The decision reverses decades of precedent upheld over the years by narrow Supreme Court majorities that included Republican appointed justices. It ends the ability of colleges and universities, public and private, to do what most say they still need to do consider race as one of the many factors in deciding which of the qualified applicants to be admitted. Chief Justice John Roberts, a longtime critic of affirmative action programs, wrote the decision for the court majority, saying that the nation's colleges and universities must use colorblind criteria in admissions. Oh, if only that were true. Um, real quick before I keep reading. Um, using colorblind admissions criteria does not deal with, like for at Harvard, we're going to talk about this, Harvard, 43% of the um, people that attend Harvard are legacy attendees. Can you explain to our audience what that means? So if your dad went to Harvard, um, there's like a preferential treatment um, for you if you're an applicant. Uh, I, I believe effectually that's what it is. Uh, don't don't hold me to it. If you want more exact, I mean it's it's nepotism. Yeah, right. Yeah, as a legacy. Yes, my parents went to school here. Right. So I get to go to school here. Right. Um, add to that that the life based circumstances that 
really need to line up for there to be impactful, meaningful numbers, not like, okay, we let three black people in this year and the class is 50,000 people. You know what I'm saying? For there to be impactful numbers that really make a difference and we're not attaining progress according to anyone else's timetable, but indeed our own black people's timetable. Um, these things need to be addressed. This is not just a Harvard thing. This is a thing with our corporate culture in this country, with law enforcement. I believe it's like 65% of pol all police officers are white men. Judges, same thing, you know, uh, on and on and on. This is when people talk about systemic issues, systemic racism, that these are issues that privilege white people and really prevent barriers to black people. Um, and they operate more or less in perpetuity, um, unless unchecked by something a la affirmative action. Okay. I'll keep reading. Uh, the majority opinion says, quote, many universities have for too long concluded wrongly that the touchstone of an individual's identity is not challenges bested, but skills built or lessons learned, but the color of their skin. Our constitutional history does not tolerate that choice. Okay. Now, what does he think has been happening? Right. It's like, it's like, um, a, turning a blind eye, your own privilege your own how, how these things help you um but when it becomes formalized for the benefit of someone else who is seeking to kind of equal things out there's there's some equity built into the equation um equitable treatment if you will then all of a sudden it's whoa, 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 whoa we can't have this in other words i've said it recently on the show too and i really need to get this quote quote right but to the privileged equality feels like oppression so that's kind of what the the, the idea the, that these admissions offices have been admitting people just because they're black <laughs> is such a ridiculous thing to think especially for a supreme court justice yeah who either knows better right and is shaping this false narrative intentionally or doesn't yeah and therefore is drastically underqualified to be a Supreme, a Supreme Court justice. Yeah, this is where we're going with this. But they still um, ignore their perch, right? They ignore where they stand and how they got there. And then they look at other people and, okay, well, affirmative action is unconstitutional. Well, then we have... 400 years of unconstitutional behavior in this country that we need to remedy because now the systems are built and they're self refueling and self perpetuating. I have to think, right. And I have to say the word think because I know, but I have to say the word think sure that he understands that, oh, even, yeah. that even with affirmative action, it didn't flip in our favor. Yeah. We're not uh, affirmative uh, action did not turn us into the majority. Yeah. I didn't graduate from Harvard. <laughs> Even those that did were the minority at Harvard. Absolutely, yeah. Like, by a lot. And I, th I think your point that you made earlier is that the to graduate from Harvard, you can't just show up and be black and that's it. You have to be exceptional first. Right. <laughs> so this is just making sure that exceptional black people were included among the ranks. To make sure that exceptional black people were considered. 
considered. Yeah. It didn't assure you were admitted. You got a chance to apply. Yeah. And be taken seriously. It's, it's like, how dare you? Do you remember what yeah. a chance? You're, you're going to help me explain this. You remember what happened with the football people when they were trying to hire black coaches, but they weren't really trying to hire them? Well, it's not what happened past him. So tell me, tell, tell, tell us about the story. The you know only rule in the NFL. I don't even know if this is if, if it's still a thing because it's proven to be so ineffective. But the Rooney rule made it so that when hiring a head coach, you had to interview a black candidate. It did not require that you hired them. And it's been a failure because they'd invite someone like Ramses, someone like you, to say they met that very, very low standard. We interviewed a black guy. Now we're going to hire the person we wanted to hire anyway. And now, even though the majority of the players are black, they pretend that there is not a pipeline for there to be black people in charge in the head coach position or the general manager position, which are the people who make the decisions and pretty much run these franchises. Mm. Um, so these things are created because left to their own decisions, a lot of people would not even consider black people for these opportunities. Okay. Thank so you. So these rules had to be instituted just for us to be considered. So watch this. Again, it's hard for them to look at themselves with that same level of critical thinking, right? They're like, well, I got here, honestly. Well, they, I, they have the false. There's this false idea that this country is a meritocracy. Where if you're better or smarter, you know, bigger or faster, then you win. And we know better. Yeah. Like we have thousands of years that show us that that's not that's the case. not even remotely true. Yeah. You know, left to our own devices, we are not a, we are not fair, especially here. Yeah. Um. You know, my kid was smart, so he got in. Mm, you don't think it helps that that building's named after you, sir? Yeah. There's more to it than just that. There's lots of smart people. But the hypocrisy is on full display. And it nowhere is it on better display than with Clarence Thomas. I remember when we went to the National Museum of African American History and Culture, and they had this huge photo of Thurgood Marshall. And there was this huge celebration of Ketanji Brown Jackson. And then they had this little tiny picture of Clarence Thomas because he is black and he was on the Supreme Court. That's technically true. But there was no celebration in the way that there was Thurgood Marshall and Ketanji Brown Jackson. Now, you could say he was the first black woman. He was the first black Supreme Court justice. Clarence Thomas fell in the middle. Oh, he doesn't, you know, he's not really breaking new ground here. But I think that. I mean, what you just said is the point, though. How are you not breaking new ground? Like, how did you how did you get there and decide status quo is fine? Like, that's the problem. That's why there's no celebration. Sure. Like, how do you, from where you're from, get there, a place that should have felt impossible to get to, and then say, all right, my work here is done. And and if, for those of you listening who don't know where Clarence Thomas is, is from and his story, we're going to we're going to uh, share that with you. Actually, let's just do it right now. Let's let's share it right now. So we have a clip from. Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. Smith. So go ahead and play that clip. Out Catholic, 
originally intended to be a priest, actually decided not to be that, by the way, because he became frustrated over the church's insufficient attempt to combat racism. Ended up attending Yale Law School via affirmative action. Mm. He attended law school. He was an affirmative action student. Mm. Gets better. Appointed by Ronald Reagan as chairman of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. This mm. man once oversaw the EEOC. The very job he held was to address racial inequality in this country. He made it to the Supreme Court. Second black in the history of the Supreme Court. His predecessor was the great Thurgood Marshall. I could easily go into Clarence Thomas. And I think Dr. Michael Eric Dyson put it best. He said, this is the face of a man who climbed the ladder of affirmative action to his present perch of power, only to help destroy the very ladder on which he ascended. You used affirmative action to climb the ladder that you climbed to success and then did everything you could to knock it down so nobody else could come up the same way you did. That is Clarence Thomas. Okay. Now, I want to read a quote from Clarence Thomas or read a passage here. Justice Clarence Thomas took the unusual step of reading from the bench parts of his lengthy concurring opinion, meaning he was on the side of people trying to gut affirmative action. Um, he wrote, sorry, Thursday's decision, he wrote, sees the university's admissions policies for what they are, rudderless, race-based preferences. Those policies fly in the face of our colorblind constitution. Okay. So Justice Clarence Thomas actually uh, read that. Okay. Now, there are people that will say, listen, man, that's black people, black people's problem, black people's issue. What does that have to do with me? Okay. Um, well, there's more to this story. Okay. Because affirmative action didn't just help black people. Okay. Um, there's a lot more here. And, and by the way, there's, um, uh, a good friend of the show and a good friend of me and Q, uh, Isaac Hayes, the third, the son of the great Isaac Hayes, the singer, um, and the owner, founder, singer, composer, writer, yeah. director, producer, Isaac Hayes. Yeah. And, uh, Isaac Hayes, the third is the owner and founder of Fanbase, the social media app that Q and I are big fans of. If you're not a big fan of Twitter or really algorithms and all kind of nonsense fan base is where you belong um the owner and the founder of fan base isaac hayes uh put up a post recently that said that this effort of the supreme court to gut affirmative action goes all the way back to 2016 and he says but you didn't vote though right and so uh again we're talking about voting and earlier when we talked about what the Supreme Court did that was good, hopefully, <laughs> um, in upholding or rather pushing back against people's right or states' rights to gerrymander away the black, the influence of the black vote. Um, voting matters. And for everyone who thinks that your vote doesn't matter, it does. Because it was a conservative president that stacked a now conservative Supreme Court that now has taken away abortion. Uh, they've taken away affirmative action, as we've discussed. They have taken away um, protections against our LGBTQIA plus brothers and sisters. 
they've taken away. Listen, if you have student loans, the current president was trying to forgive $20,000 of student loans for everybody. $50,000. 50000 was it? Okay. $50,000 of student loans. So if you have student loans, the government or the, the president had a plan in place to forgive that. That would have made a real measurable impact on you and your life and your immediate here and now. The same government that forgave all those pandemic loans, okay, they have the capacity to do so. The, the ship hasn't sunk and all those pandemic loans were forgiven, but this is for every man. This isn't for business owners. This isn't for, you know, this is for you if you have student loans or people that you might know, right? The same Supreme Court pushed back on those efforts and now the presidential administration underneath Joe Biden has to find another way to deliver that relief to the American public. So your vote shapes outcomes. Absolutely. And Isaac Hayes was right. I want to read something before we move on. This is from the onion. Uh, <laughs> this is by Cicero Thompson. I decided to become a slave. So one day my descendants could steal college admission spots. <laughs> Affirmative action in the world of higher education can be an incredibly difficult topic to address. While many people have strong opinions about how the policy affects race and college admissions, I, as an enslaved person, have uniquely personal ties to the issue. Back in the year 1823, I decided to become a slave. So one day, my descendants could steal college admission slots. Now, it was a tough decision, but boy, did it pay off big time. When I opted to become a slave and work in cotton fields in South Carolina, I did it with hope that in 200 years, my progeny would have an unfair advantage while applying to colleges. <laughs> Deep down, I knew that if I sold my body and worked for no pay at the hands of my sadistic, violent master, then one day, my great, 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 great grandchild would be able to present, prevent some middle-class white kid from getting into their dream school. Sorry, Colton. Thanks to me, your 1530 SAT score won't be enough. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was living in Senegal, free and happy, but then I had an idea. <laughs> what if I got on a ship and went to a land I'd never heard of? a place where I knew no one did not speak the language and spent 16 hours a day doing forced labor while getting whipped and beaten. Yes, I thought, if that's what it takes for my progeny to bump someone just as deserving from the admissions list, I'll do it. It was the perfect plan. If I played my cards right, I could all but ensure that my descendants would apply to schools, give the college no choice but to admit them, and force some so, so, so white kids into their second or third choice schools. <laughs> now, folks, there's more to read. And I hope you've caught on by now. Sarcastic. That this is a sarcastic isn't even the, yeah. the right word. But that this is written to be heard as ridiculous. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you shared that with us. I want a, us to play a video just to leave you with some final thoughts. This video comes from Kasim Rashid. So um, let's fire that one off. 
Here's the thing that MAGAs don't seem to understand about affirmative action. It was never about admitting unqualified black kids. It was always about ensuring that qualified black kids could actually get a fair shake at admission. MAGAs want us to forget at the levels of systemic racism in universities. I mean, my God, do they realize that HBCUs exist specifically because after graping, enslaving, murdering, lynching, and torturing black people for 400 years, they wouldn't even allow black children to read a book. So black people had to build their own schools. And for those claiming that systemic racism is over, when? When did those systems of white supremacy stop? Because right now, black and brown schools get 23 billion less in funding than white schools, despite serving the same number of students. Because even now, 43% of white students at Harvard are there only because of legacy. And three quarters of them would not have qualified on merit, meaning they took a seat from a more qualified black Asian or white student. And spare me the MAGAs who say we had to repeal affirmative action because it's discriminatory to Asians. No, first of all, Asians also benefited from affirmative action. And moreover, is this the same GOP that near unanimously voted to block a resolution condemning anti-Asian discrimination? The actual unqualified admission you should be upset about are people like Justice Kavanaugh getting to Yale on legacy. The bottom line is this, don't blame black people for your own mediocrity. It's time for the Way Black History Fact. Uh, today's Way Black History Fact is sponsored by Underground Beach Club. From the streets to the beach. For the finest in beachwear, visit undergroundbeachclub.com. Today's reading comes from Wikipedia. Henrietta Lacks, born Loretta Pleasant, August 1st, 1920 through October 4th, 1951. Was an African-American woman whose cancer cells are the source of the HeLa cell line. The first immortalized human cell line and one of the most important cell lines in medical research. An immortalized cell line reproduces indefinitely under specific conditions and the HeLa cell line continues to be a source of invaluable medical data to the present day. Lax was, un was the unwitting source of these cells from a tumor biopsied during treatment for cervical cancer at Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland in 1951. These cells were then cultured by George Otto Gay, who created the cell line known as HeLa, which is still used for medical research. As was then the practice, no consent was required for culture to culture the cells obtained from lax treatment. Neither she nor her family were compensated for the extraction or use of the HeLa cells. Even though some information about the origins of HeLa, HeLa's, sorry, immortalized cells uh, was known to researchers after 1970, the Lax family was not made aware of the line's existence until 1975. With knowledge of the cell line's genetic prominence becoming public, its use for medical research and for commercial purposes continues to raise concerns about privacy and patients' rights. On January 29, 1951, Lax went to Johns Hopkins, the only hospital in the area that treated Black patients, because she felt a knot in her womb. She had previously told her cousins about the knot, and they assumed correctly that she was pregnant. But after giving birth to Joseph, Lax had a severe hemorrhage. Her primary care doctor, William C. Wade, referred her back to Johns Hopkins. There, her doctor, Howard W. Jones, took a biopsy of a mass found on Lax's cervix for laboratory testing. Soon after, Lax was told that she had a malignant epidermoid carcinoma of the cervix. In the 1970s, physicians discovered that she had been misdiagnosed and actually had an adenocarcinoma. This was com a common mistake at the time, and the treatment would not have differed. Lax was treated with radium tube inserts 
as an inpatient and discharged a few, few days later with instructions to return for x-ray treatments as a follow-up. During her treatments, two samples were taken from Lax's cervix without her permission or knowledge. One sample was of healthy tissue and the other was of cancerous. These samples were given to George Otto Gay, a physician and cancer researcher at Johns Hopkins. The cells from the cancerous sample eventually became known as the HeLa immortal cell line, commonly used cell line in contemporary biomedical research. In 1996, Morehouse School of Medicine held its first annual HeLa Women's Health Conference led by physician Ronald Patillo. The conference is held to give recognition to Henrietta Lacks, her cell line, and quote, the valuable contribution made by African-Americans to medical research and clinical practice, quote. The mayor of Atlanta declared this date of the first conference, October 11, 1996, Henrietta Lacks Day. Lacks's contributions continue to be celebrated at yearly events in Turner Station. At one such event in 1997, the then U.S. Congressman from Maryland, Robert Elrich, presented a congressional resolution recognizing Lacks and her contributions to medical science and research. Um, in 2010, the John Hopkins Institute for Clinical and Translational Research established the annual Henrietta Lacks Memorial Lecture Series to honor Henrietta Lacks and the global impact of HeLa cells on medicine and research. In 2011, Morgan State University in Baltimore granted Lacks a posthumous honorary doctorate in public service. Also in 2011, the Evergreen School District in Vancouver, Washington, named their new high school focused on medical careers, the Henrietta Lacks Health and Bioscience High School, becoming the first organization to mem memorialize her publicly by naming a school after her. In 2014, Lacks was inducted into the Maryland Women's Hall of Fame. 2017, a minor planet in the main asteroid belt was named 359426 Lacks in her honor. In 2018, the New York Times published a belated obituary for her as part of the Overlooked History Project. Also in 2018, the National Portrait Gallery, the National Museum of African American History and Culture, shout out to them, jointly announced the accession of a portrait, La portrait of Lax by Kadir Nelson. On October 6, 2018, Johns Hopkins University announced plans to name a research building in honor of Lax. The announcement was made at the 9th Annual Henrietta Lax Memorial Lecture in the Turner Auditorium in East Baltimore by John Hopkins University President Ronald J. Daniels and Paul B. Rotham, Rothman, CEO of Johns Hopkins Medicine and Dean of the Medical Facility of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, surrounded by several of Lax's descendants. Quote, through their life, through her life and immortal cells, Henrietta Lax made a measurable impact on science and medicine that has touched countless lives around the world, Daniels said. This building will stand as a testament to her transformative impact on scientific discovery and the ethics that must be undergird in its pursuit. We at Johns Hopkins are profoundly grateful to the Lax family for their partnership as we continue to learn from Ms. Lax's life and to honor her enduring legacy. The building will adjoin Berman Institute of Bioethics during call located in the corner of Ashland and Rutland Avenues and will quote support programs that enhance participation and partnership for members of the community and research that can benefit the community as well as extend the opportunities to further study and promote research ethics and community engagement research throughout expansion of the Berman Institute and its work. And finally, in 2020, Lax was inducted to the National Women's Hall of Fame. There's a lot more accolades and, and so forth, but still not 
taught in schools, so I didn't know about this woman. Um, a lot of people owe their life to this woman. A life, cancer, you name it. Like life, I would not be living if not for this black woman and her cells and what we've been able to learn and keep them going and, and use them in medicine and so forth. And so as as the son of a cancer survivor, I extend my thank yous to her and her family and their legacy. All right. That's going to do it for us here on Civic Cypher today. So once again, I want to thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Ramses Job. And I'm Q. And one of these days, I'm going to actually try to deliver on the hope that has been promised. Because oftentimes, I've said this out loud on the mic before, I do not come to do this show or leave after doing this show feeling much in the way of hope. Uh, our country, its leadership, our politicians, and clearly our courts are in dire straits. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to be here for all of it. Uh, you can find us at Civic Cipher. Find us at Ramses Job. I am Q Ward. And of course, you can find us right here. So until next week, y'all, peace. Sidestepping the borders with press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander, here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question, then ask it. The news is just a TV show, get past it. And this from a quiet wartime journalist headlines. Wake up, refuse, and resist. Like this, like this, like this, like this.